Welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree and a volunteer dealing with communications for Chapter 49. And, of course, most of my duties center around this podcast, the Chapter 49 podcast. We thank you very much for joining us, taking the time to watch or listen to our podcast. And uh, my partner, as always, is Duncan Giles, Chapter President, for chapter 49. Now, last week, Duncan, I mentioned early on at the very beginning, in fact, of that podcast, that we were seeing an increase in the number of video views as opposed to listens. We've had more growth on the video side. Well, guess what happened this last time? A reduction in the videos and an increase in the audio. So somebody must be listening. Uh, I think that's a smart move on our uh, folks that are, uh, you know, trying to access this podcast. I would think listening would be better for them than viewing, but that's just me. Well, it's there for you if you want to watch it or listen. But uh, we, and again, either way you are consuming our podcast, we thank you for doing that. I want to start off with something that I just recently saw. We're recording this on June the 10th of Friday. And the night before we record this was the, uh, the opening of the January 6th committee. I'm not going to comment on the committee's presentation itself. I'll let, you know, those of you who are consuming it, make your own conclusions. But what I, what struck me about that was in the opening remarks by the chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson, he mentioned the fact that there is an oath of office that they take in the house of representatives every two years. If whether you're new or you're reelected, you still take the same, um, you, st- you take that very same oath of office, same for senators coming in or being reelected, same for the president and vice president, judges. All those people have to take an oath of office, which says you will defend and protect the Constitution against foreign and domestic enemies. What I remembered is that, you know, not only, and he m- mentioned this also in his remarks. Every federal employee takes that very same oath. The same ones that the Congress members take, the senators, the president, the vice president, judges, all the way down the line. Every federal employee takes that oath. And I thought back, and I took my oath on July 11th of 1983. And the reason I remember that date is because I so remember that that day of when I first processed into the IRS that very first day. So, Duncan, I think we all need to just keep in mind that it's, and I think some of the hearings have have, uh, brought this up, it's not just the responsibility of our elected officials to uh, protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Every federal employee has taken that oath of office. Absolutely. And like you, I remember when I took mine, you know, 27 and a half years ago. Um, it's something that I think was very striking then. And hopefully it uh, affects everybody the same way now that, as you said, you know, we are supposed to be defending the Constitution from enemies, foreign and domestic. And, you know, whatever form that particular uh, item takes. So, yeah, it's a very Solemn is probably not the right word, but it's a duty that I think each of us as federal employees should be undergoing. And it, it just watching that that hearing reminded me that when, when Chairman Thompson rem, reminded everyone of that, I thought, 
Boy, that's true. I did take that oath. And yes, that is the same oath elected officials take. And I never really thought of it that way. But it it's just an interesting comment that uh, struck that memory in me. And I thought I would mention that to start off since the, most of the people who watch or listen uh, to this podcast are people working for the federal government. Most of the IRS, but we do have a few other agency people who who choose to watch and listen. Well, let's get into our issues for this week. Here's the big one. I think it's quite striking that our national president, Tony Reardon, sent a letter to the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue saying, hey, we need to increase the mileage rate. Gas prices are high, really high. IRS has done this before, up the mileage rate in the middle of the year. Was it, what, a day or two? Boom, we have an increase in the mileage rate. Now, I don't know if our national president was clairvoyant, know when it was coming, but he certainly had been advocating for the many IRS employees who have to go out in the field and use their own privately owned vehicles and take that standard mileage rate for for their reimbursement. So talk about what this decision by IRS means for people working at the IRS or anybody else working for the federal government that must use their own car on government business. Yeah, this is one of those things where um, you know, yeah, Tony, Tony did have some influence there. I mean, right after he sent that letter, you know, they did that. I'm sure that's the only reason, um, in seriousness, uh, there had been a lot of discussions from Tony on down during Greenwald. Um, you know, our national vice president also had been talking to IRS about this. And I think they were also taking a look at it as well. And it, it's just with the inflation and with the price of gas, uh, that's going right now due to supply, demand, refineries, um, the uh, the war in Ukraine. Yeah, over several different factors, the price of gas has never been higher across the world, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. So it's one of those things that, you know, as we're starting to go back to the field, as we're starting to travel more, um, you know, they are doing it for private business. So that's where it's raised for. And then the IRS will match it for their own employees, as tradition goes. So it's just something to try and make sure that employees, when they're doing their jobs, are you know already being hit hard by inflation, and we don't want anybody to lose any more money than uh, than they might already be doing. And here's and again showing my age here. I'm you know uh, from years back the uh, upping of the standard mileage rate, which is used for tax deduction purposes for people who are using their cars, uh, privately owned vehicles and, and uh, other vehicles in business. I mean, that is, um, does, let me put it this way. Does that automatically mean our reimbursement rate goes up? Does GSA have to make a decision or is this automatic? How does this work? Uh, it is, it is not automatic. There has to be another conscious step to be taken, but in every single time that the IRS has, done this with the rate either at the start of a year or in the rare instances where they've raised it mid-year uh the federal government as a whole has followed suit so i would expect that to be done fairly quickly after this now i, I understand that even though the rate's been increased i think it's what two and a half cents a mile has been increased uh, a lot of people are saying that maybe that isn't enough and uh, perhaps it should be even higher than that so um i i, I have to say that Getting IRS to change the mileage rate in the middle of the year is hard enough. I know there are people who don't think this is enough of an increase, 
but I, you know, I think no matter how hard we push, that's going to be an uphill battle. Don't you? Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, I feel everybody's paying on the inflation. We're hit. You know, you and I get hit with it. Everybody gets hit with it. Um, do I think that the rate increase is enough? They have the formulas that they use. They seem to feel it's enough, even though we may not, but getting it raised even higher is going to be a tough way to go unless gas prices rise appreciably, which I would hope they would not. I'm hoping we're right around the peak. You know, some people have said, well, we may see $6 a gallon. I'm, I would really hope we wouldn't see that, that we're right around the peak nationally um, and that it will start to go and ebb down at least a little bit. Indiana, strangely enough, is is one of the states with some of the highest gas prices. And I just saw something uh, today, Duncan, that in the Chicago area, the gas price has already gone up over $6 a gallon. So it's not looking good at the moment. Yeah, it's just it's supply demand. Uh, refinery capacity is a huge, huge part of this. Um, you know, the Chinese... Uh, Demand has gone up as well because their economy has started growing after being on lockdown for a couple of years. And again, like I said, the war in Ukraine where you're shutting off the gasoline uh, products that are coming out of Russia to a large part of the world are all playing a part in this. So it's just a confluence of a lot of events that are not playing well with our pocketbooks. By the way, we received a question on our Facebook page. Somebody asked, well, can we get around this by renting a car and charging the standard mileage rate? Uh, Sadly, that's not a good option, is it, Duncan? That's one of those things where they've talked about if you're going to go out in the field, you know, you're going to have to do cost comparisons between using a rental car versus um, using your own vehicle. And even if you're renting a car, you're still going to have, you know, that cost. So there's there's no good way around this. Unfortunately, there's, there's going to be some cost involved. That's not going to be painless. Uh, so appreciate the initiative and, uh, wish we could, but it's, it's not going to be, uh, something that's going to be easy for, uh, the short term. And if you'd like to, if you don't already subscribe to our, um, Facebook page, you can either like or follow our Facebook page. You can find it on Facebook NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana. You may have some trouble just searching for it. If you have trouble finding it, uh, go to Duncan Giles, and he can give you a link to our uh, Chapter 49, uh, NTU Chapter 49, Indiana Facebook page. Uh, We had to move it around for technical Facebook reasons or meta reasons, (laughs) however you want to describe them. Let's Mark Zuckerberg loves us. Yeah, well, uh, we can't blame Sheryl Sandberg. She's gone. But, uh, yep, she she did that to us and decided to leave. Well, that's your that's your story, and you're sticking to it, Duncan. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I'll let you uh, take care of the lawsuits. Thank you. Um, that is a joke. The uh, we have a, a, a situation now where people are coming back to the office. They're already coming back to the offices to work. Um, we we uh, I think the, the the everyone will be here very soon by the end of the month of June. So that process continues. And I, I, uh, what, what do you say to people that say, I, I, I have a medical condition which would prevent me safely medically 
to return to an IRS office? If somebody asks you that question, uh, what is your answer? Uh, my answer is the same as it has been. They're going to need to follow the reasonable accommodation protocols, uh, fill out the paperwork, have a have their medical professional uh, detail exactly why uh, they cannot come back to the office so that our folks in our uh, EDI who take a look at these reasonable accommodations uh, can make a determination, talk with our contracted IRS contracted medical professionals to see if uh, that is indeed the case. It's, it's going to be very tough. I understand there's a lot of anxiety out there uh, to coming back to the office because people have worked from home for so long. And the fact is that people have been very productive in working from home and are saying, why do I have to go back into the office, spend money on uh, you know gas, do the commute, the whole nine yards? And that's a valid argument. But unfortunately, we're, uh, we have to come back to the office twice a pay period for most employees. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things that unless you have this specific medical condition, reasonable accommodation approved, you're going to have to come back in. And what happens if you have a pending reasonable accommodation request, for example, for a medical reason? Do you still come into the office during that period? That's going to be done on a case-by-case basis, but I believe, I, you know, I don't have the information in front of me, but I believe until that RA is approved that you would be having to come into the office. But that's a case-by-case basis that should be looked at and worked on with your manager. And uh, I guess the same would go for the people who have pending religious reasons. Uh, that I believe those are all still pending, correct? Those reasonable accommodations. Uh, well, those are on hold. That's that's talking specifically about the vaccination versus coming into the office. Uh, as far as I know, there are no religious accommodation issues in coming back to the office. So that's so it's strictly the medical. So that's related to the lawsuit, which is which is in abeyance right now. Okay, right. Correct. Wanted to make sure everybody understood the difference between yep. the two, and you explained that very well. Let's talk about surveys. IRS is uh, people. I mean, uh, surveys go all the way back, what to the eighties, nineties. <laughs> IRS had surveys. Sometimes NTU was involved in the surveys, encouraged people to take it. Other years, I, uh, IRS shut NTU out of their internal survey, and uh, NTU said, "Don't take the survey. We're not a part of it." Uh, although IRS does take some surveys still. One of the major surveys that are offered by the federal government to its employees is something called the FEVS, also known as the FEVS. I can't even remember what it stands for. I'm sure you know. So with people being offered this FEVS survey, I guess the question is, what is NTEU's recommendation? Should employees take this survey? Uh, Yeah, it's the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey uh, that's administered. And yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer in the fact that we should take the surveys. And let me tell you why. These surveys are looked at. I'm on a team uh, with executives. I'm the only NTU representative on this particular team that takes a look at these survey results. And we drill down and take a look, whether it's the Pulse surveys, which I think are very effective, or the, um, the FEBs. The problem that I see and that I talk to management until I'm blue in the face when they say, oh, this this number is going up or this is, 
you know, we're doing well here. It doesn't take into effect the people that have said, you know what, I'm so disenchanted. I'm so disconnected. I'm not even going to take the survey. It doesn't do any good, you know, both nationally and, you know, for myself as a chapter president, I urge everybody to take these surveys and to be brutally honest. You know, it's not going to come back to you. It's, you know, these are not going to be drilled down to group levels where your manager can say, oh, I know that you said these bad things about me. That's not going to happen. But what does happen is, is the IRS gets a truer picture of what the morale and engagement is of the employees if people who are disenchanted, disaffected, uh, do take these surveys and are honest about their feelings. And that's a better way for us to be able to work to improve uh, the IRS as a whole. So how do people go about taking it? Do they get emails from the management? Do they have to be proactive and get on some website? How do you take this FEVS survey? Uh, the FEVS survey has been, uh, they're basically shooting it out to everybody. They are uh, saying, please take this survey. We really encourage it. I've received uh, myself three or four different emails so far. It's good through July. When you see a or hear about a what's called a pulse survey, we haven't done any of those lately. Uh, but those are like the the feds are very big and you know government wide issues. The pulse surveys are usually about ten questions. We had a lot of them last summer, and I think those are very effective snapshots of what's going on as well. Those are usually, um, you know, you'll see announcements about it, but won't get emails. But any of those, like I said, I encourage employees to take as soon as they can uh, just to make sure that their feelings are being taken into consideration, good or bad. So even though FEVS is a, like a government-wide federal employee survey, does the IRS get the data on just the responses from IRS employees? Yes. Okay, so there yeah, it is broken. It is broken down into that and broken down into uh, business divisions, things of that nature, but not by groups. Let's talk about the thrift savings plan. Let's let's move on to that. Uh, we talk, Are we sure we want to? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about it, for better or worse. Um, we told everybody that they were uh, the TSP was going to bring down its website. You weren't going to be able to access anything, but it would be back up. In early June, and we're now at the 10th of June. It's been up for a while. So the TSP is, in theory, available to you. Is it, in fact, available, Duncan? Uh, that's an excellent question, and apparently it varies by individual. I have not tried to go back on, but like you, uh, have heard some uh, interesting stories about not being able to get on the functionality that should be there is not there things of that nature. They're working out butts. I mean, that's something that's normal with any time you do this type of changeover. Hopefully they'll have it corrected as soon as possible. I do know that they have added uh, some people to their phone lines to handle this flood of calls that they're getting uh, due to this. So I would, I would hope that it smooths out soon. So if you're having problems, you know, setting up a mobile app or getting on, uh, TSP getting your information or trying to avail yourself of some of the new options, uh, give it a little bit of patience because it will get, I'm, I'm going to cross my fingers and say it will get better. You know, I'm on some Facebook uh, accounts, excuse me, 
accounts or pages, you know, that people, federal employees have, some are IRS employees, some federal employees, where they talk to each other on Facebook. And I don't think I can remember such a wide variety of responses on the TSP. Some people, oh, you know, I got back in. It was wonderful. No problems. Others said it was a nightmare. Can't get in. Can't figure anything out. So uh, it's up to you. I have not even tried to get back in since the change because I've heard all these horror stories, and I want to give the TSP people, who are very good people working hard at it, that uh, give them a chance to fix this problem. So that's where I'm at, so I will be checking it later. And uh, at least uh, it's not a problem for everyone, but, Duncan, there are problems for some people. That much we have documented. So we let's move on to well, one couple other issues here before we wrap this up. Uh Got some fairly good news for some people. Uh, There has been a preliminary approval by a judge in the District of Columbia. And I stress this is a preliminary approval. You may think back uh, to 2014 and 2015, there was a hack of the Office of Personnel Management where they had uh, somebody got into the personal data of anybody on the OPM site, which is a whole lot of people. So, uh, there was a lawsuit filed. It's been in the courts obviously for years, probably six, seven, eight years now. It appears there's a preliminary deal. We don't know who's going to qualify. You have to have at least some expense of some kind uh, that you had to incur uh, to uh, monitor your credit and so forth because of the OPM hack. So, Duncan, we don't have much information, but just the fact that that lawsuit is progressing and moving toward a final uh, approval is a good sign. Yeah, this is one of those things where when you get these types of hacks, it can absolutely be very damaging to your personal identity information, um, your credit, things of that nature. So the way that it's looking at this moment is if you've been harmed or had to incur some expenses due in particular to this, Um, you may be able to get some compensation, but again, we're short on the details. This just came out. Um, so we're going to need to wait a little while. And I'm assuming (laughs) big assumption that if you're in the impacted class that, you know, there'll be information on how to sign up to, uh, to be part of this and what you might be entitled to. And, you know, we'll keep an eye on it too. So that if our members know if they have any uh, possibility of, of getting any of this settlement, you know, uh, we'll let you know. And you never know how much it's going to be and you know, so forth. There's always compli- there are complicated uh, uh, settlement provisions. So we will keep you in mind. This is just a preliminary approval at this point. So we don't have all the final rules in yet. And yeah. And this is not an NTU issue. This is, uh, you know, IRS. This is OPM for every federal employee or uh, you know, if an individual who's not a federal employee is impacted by this. Yeah. So it's it's a huge, huge thing. Well, a lot of retirees are under the OPM, yep. uh, have OPM databases. And uh, it should be pointed out that this was a private lawsuit, a class action suit. You're right, NTEU had no involvement in it. But if you're eligible for something, we'll let, try to let you know if that information Absolutely. comes around. Speaking of OPM... I have good news and bad news if you're looking to retire or have retired recently. 
The good news is this backlog that I OPM has to, to basically process all federal employees retiring, and there are a lot of people who have been retiring in recent years. There was actually a 7% drop in the backlog for May. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. There's still a backlog of 32,000 retirement cases that OPM still has not completed. So I guess the bottom line here, Duncan, is if you're going to retire or maybe you've recently retired, I hope you have a bit of a nest egg to hold you over. You'll have a you'll have that estimated lower annuity each month until the processing is complete. You'll get your back uh, uh, benefits at that point, but we don't know how long you're going to have to wait. It could be a long time. Yeah, that's a very well said. It's one of those things that I do counsel people who are looking to retire, and that's one of the main things that I talk to them about is, you know, OPM is extremely backed up. They're trying, but just like everybody else, they're short-staffed trying to move forward, and it's going to take a quite a long while. You know, if you're retiring and going to another job, oh, you're in great shape. You can afford to wait that. But if this, if you're retiring and not going to be working anymore, as you said, please, please, please have that nest egg that could last you several months because it could take three, six, even more months longer than that to get caught up. So just just be prepared. That's the key thing. Be prepared. Have a plan. You know, Duncan, you and I are both alumni of having worked on the toll-free lines at IRS, so we know what it's like to be answering telephone calls. I have only had to call OPM and the retirement people a handful of times. But I'll have to say, I mean, it's hard to get through there as well. But once I get someone on the phone, Duncan, those those people are great. I've always had really good service from them. And I would hope, you know, others have had the same experience. I, I've dealt with them to assist members over the years. And every single interaction I've had has been very good. They've always been very, very helpful. It's like you said, just being able to get to somebody just because of the scarcity of the number of employees. Now, one time I called them, I actually did call them, Duncan, the day after Thanksgiving and got straight through. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's... That is got. lucky. That's a, that, well, no, there, there was nobody calling them. That's the only reason they had a few people there and they got right. So, you know, you'll have to wait once a year to get a, to get straight through to OPM. Uh, that's, do, that's one of the things I always enjoyed on Toll Free. I always said, you know, because we need people at a certain time of year. Yeah, you know, it's Christmas Eve. I want to get up. I want to start getting the decorations finished up, the cooking started, and let me call the IRS about my tax issue. Really? You're going to have people that do that? I worked many Christmas Eves, and I must Yeah, I was going to say, and we do. We got the phone calls, (laughs) and we got these questions, so what can I say? Okay, Duncan, uh, time for your final comment. I just want to say... I, uh, you know, as we, as we end the evacuation order in the next couple of weeks, I couldn't be more proud of every single employee that's out there. Um, the jobs that we've continued to do during this pandemic and continue to do, uh, has just been astounding. I don't think that that gets enough credit. I know that there are a lot of leaders out there who, who, you know, let you know, but you may not hear that from. Uh, your frontline leaders, because they're under a lot of pressure too, because they, they're doing the same thing. But I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for doing A, such a great job, and B, for the help you've given the American taxpayers. 
because they have no idea what a trial this has been for you and how great a job you've done. So just a well done kudos to everyone out there. You know, Duncan, we started this podcast a little more than two years ago in the depths of the whole COVID uh, pandemic. And and based on our conversations and just what I have uh, been able to glean from other sources, it is amazing what IRS workers have accomplished under the conditions under, under which they've been working. So I, I would fully agree. And I would add one more thing. You know, Duncan, it seems like during my IRS career as a manager, as a union official, just knowing people, I know there are people in the middle, but I, it seems like I dealt with people on one of two I should I put a radical edges here. I either dealt with people who had almost no leave and constantly needed time off. And so their leave balances were low or zero. Then I had another group of people who never took leave. They had gigantic amounts and had to start taking time off at the end of the leave year so that they could, you know, because they had use or lose leave. I guess what I would say is number one, if you, if you have a, if you don't have much of a leave balance, show up for work. And the reason I'm saying this is that you need time off, real time off, like real vacation time during the summer. If you're married, you have kids, that's when your kids are out of school. You need to spend some time with them. So I would encourage people do the best you can. I mean, there are circumstances that cannot be helped. I understand that. But to the extent that you can, make sure you have a leave balance. You can schedule some leave and take some time with your family and loved ones and so forth. It's so important. And for you people who hoard your leave, would you please take some leave? You need time away from work. You know, and I have actually seen people, yep, and I've had people work for me. I've had people I've I've counseled as a union official. And, you know, you need time off. It's good for you. You don't have to be at work every day you know you need that time off on account so this is the summertime time to try to think about getting that time off taking some time with your family and 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 enjoying uh the summer season that's all i have to say anything else duncan nope i think you've encapsulated that very well uh you got to have a work-life balance <laughs> Work-life balance. I should have just said that, right? I wouldn't have had to say all those words. I guess I'm just wordy by nature. Uh, it's, uh, how should I put it, occupational hazard from an ex-radio guy. That was my problem there. Duncan, thank you so much. Always enjoy talking to you. And if all goes well, we will be back next week for another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. If you want to uh, check out our podcast, if you're listening and want to watch the video, Go to YouTube and just look up Duncan Giles. There are several. Just look at the one that has on the video feed the Chapter 49 podcast, and you can subscribe to his video feed and be notified whenever we have a new one. And it's our, our audio version is available on just about every podcast platform. So we thank you for watching and listening. Please be safe and be kind.